My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Bobby Rose Coe and Chris Ryder. The watershed of the Peel River encompasses an area in the northeastern Yukon that is larger than the province of Nova Scotia. It is one of the largest unroaded natural areas in the world and is the territory of four First Nations. The use of land in the Yukon is currently governed by agreements finalized in the 1990s among most of the First Nations in the territory, the Yukon government, and the Government of Canada. These agreements include substantial requirements for consultation with and input from those nations whose territories will be impacted by land use decisions. When the land use planning process was begun for the Peel watershed in the early 2000s, all of the First Nations in the area plus the conservation groups with which they were working took the position that 100% of the watershed must be protected from industrial development. The process was extensive, lasting seven years, and resulted in a compromise that the First Nations and the conservation groups were not thrilled about, but that they accepted. 80% of the watershed would be protected, even from the building of roads, while 20% would be opened for development. Around the same time as the final report of the land use planning process was released, however, the territorial government released its own report, saying that rather than abide by the seven years of good faith consultation and negotiation, they had unilaterally decided that they would protect only 30% of the watershed and open the rest up to industry. Already by this point, there had for many years been a highly effective public education and public pressure campaign called Protect the Peel that had succeeded in raising public consciousness in the Yukon about the importance of preserving the watershed and had also made significant strides in connecting with people far beyond. With the government announcement that it intended to open up the majority of the watershed to industry, the First Nations leadership and the conservation organizations decided they had no choice but to build on this public campaign with a robust legal challenge as well. In 2014, the Yukon Supreme Court delivered a stinging rebuke to the territorial government, which was ordered to abide by the outcome of the land use planning process with no option for introducing changes that would protect any less than the 80% in the original compromise. In 2015, the Yukon government appealed this ruling. While the Yukon Court of Appeal agreed with much of the earlier decision's criticism of the Yukon government's actions, it granted permission to reboot the land use planning process to a much earlier stage that would end up allowing the government to force through a major reduction in the percentage of land ultimately protected. On March 22nd of this year, the Supreme Court of Canada will be hearing an appeal by the First Nations and the conservation groups. Though the new Yukon government elected in late 2016 takes a much more pro-conservation stance than its predecessor, the case is continuing and the court will decide whether or not the government will be bound to respect the outcome of the earlier process and fully protect 80% of the watershed. All through the legal process, the public education and advocacy component of Protect the Peel has been continuing, and there will be a series of public events in March in both Whitehorse and Ottawa. Bobby Rose Coe is a member of the Tetlet Gwich'in Nation who lives in Fort McPherson. 
She's active in Protect the Peel and is one of the leaders of Youth of the Peel, a group of indigenous people committed to reconnecting other indigenous youth with the watershed and teaching them skills. Chris Ryder is the executive director of the Yukon chapter of the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, or CEPAWS, one of the conservation groups active in defending the Peel watershed. They speak with me about the land, about the long public campaign to protect it, and about the legal process that will culminate in the Supreme Court of Canada later this month. We spoke by Skype from Whitehorse. I would like to say Jin Wingsi, Fabio's Cleveland, Jetta Vichinitli, to Jewish Sat Dirty Alexi, Chancet Rosemary Kui, Sutsi Kat Robert Axisini, Chancet Abram Kui. My name is Bobby Rose Kui. I am a Tata Vichin of Fort McPherson. My grandparents are Robert and Dorothy Alexi and Abraham and Rosemary Kui. I am 27 years old, so the appeal has never been new to me. So it has always been there my whole life. That's where I've been brought up. That's where I've been raised. The appeal flows through my community, like past my community, past my cabins, past many cabins onto us. So when this court case came up, it was a kind of a shock because we've been living there most of our life. And I was thinking, like, what's going on here? Why are we doing this? And why is the government doing this? Since then, it has been a big part of my life because my people chose me to go up and speak for them, especially for those people who live beside the Peel and who survived by the Peel, and also for our future generations because that's what our people always talk about, and that's what my great-grandparents always talked about. They always talked about me and how we should not have to be in this kind of situation, but here we are today, and we're saying protect the peel. My name is Chris Ryder. I'm the executive director of CEPAWS Yukon. I've been in the Yukon only since 2012. Originally, I come from Australia. I got involved in the campaign to protect the Peel essentially since the first day I moved here and I started my role with CPAWS in March last year. I took over from the previous executive director. This has just been an incredibly important campaign to protect one of, I'd say, Canada's most important wilderness areas. It's land that First Nations have depended on for literally millennia, as Bobby Rose spoke to. And it's just an incredibly important place for not just Canada, but for the world. And so it's been a real privilege to be involved in this campaign and to work with incredible people like Bobby Rose and the Yukon First Nations who have been working on this campaign. And also our partners, uh, the Yukon Conservation Society, who have also been incredibly important in this work to conserve this wilderness. What's the Peel River watershed territory like? Fortunately, I got the opportunity to travel in this area most of my life, but in the watershed, I only set one in there since 2015, and it's truly amazing. Since I was a young little girl, my grandfather, my Gigi, Robert Lexi, he always told me when we hit Caribou Mountain, he'd be like, look over there, that's the Gladys country, and it's so beautiful. It's like we say it's God's country. When I first went up there, it's like, it blew me away. It was so amazing. Like, it was like both sad and exciting at the same time because it's just like you're in a movie. Like, that's what I always say. And I guess 
all the places that I've been throughout the different country, you all put it together and you like put it all in one place and that's how the pure water shit is. My grandparents have been living up there for like ever. And my Gigi's Gigi, like all the way up there. We've been up there for like ever and that's where my grandparents are buried. My great great grandparents. All the way over to Dawson so yeah, it just it's breathtaking. It's our home. It's like somewhere where I would like to spend the rest of my days. If I ever opportunity to do that, I would like to do that. I can't speak with the same passion as Bobby Rose in the same experience, but I can give a little bit of background for people outside of the Territory. The Peel Watershed is in the northeast of the Yukon. It's about 64,000 square kilometers, which is roughly the same size as the entire of Nova Scotia or even if you want to compare it somewhere else, the entire island, which is uh, pretty incredible to think about the size of this space. The Yukon itself is huge, and it's so incredibly diverse. I think a lot of people who've never been here, when they think about the Yukon, particularly northern Yukon, where the Peel watershed is, they think of it as being just tundra and like flatland, but it's nothing like that at all. It's just incredibly beautiful mountains, rivers, and some of the most impressive scenery that you'll ever see anywhere in the world. Talk about the land use planning process that preceded the current court battle. You can't talk about the process that led to that without talking about the Yukon First Nations final agreements. The final agreements are essentially what you would call modern day treaties. And as part of those final agreements, which most of the Yukon's First Nations have signed, they lay out a land use planning consultation process that has to involve the input of the First Nations on whose traditional territory any land use planning is taking place, and also the Yukon public and others as relevant. Around 2004, a land use planning process started for the Peel watershed. Now, that process literally took seven years It was seven years of talking to communities, talking to the First Nations, getting feedback, going backwards and forth, releasing various plans. And they eventually came out with the final recommended plan, which outlined a protection of 80% of the Peel watershed and 20% of it was going to be opened up for various levels of industrial development. Now, The First Nations and conservation groups like CEPAWS and the Yukon Conservation Society, we all went into this process saying we really want to see 100% of this land protected. But out of that process came compromise. And the First Nations and the conservation groups came out of that and said, okay, we are willing to accept this compromise that 80% will be protected, knowing that 20% will be opened up. Unfortunately, what happened was pretty much as soon as that plan was released, Yukon government of the day came out with their own plan, which essentially turned it on its head. So what they came out with was a new plan that was to open up 70% of the Pearl watershed for industrial development and protecting only around 30%. So it was almost a complete reversal. It was so disappointing and shocking and agrarious that we were left with little choice but to take the government to court. 
How did people in the directly affected communities feel about these decisions? About, first of all, the initial compromise to protect 80% of the territory from development, and then the territorial government's decision that it was only going to protect 30%? Well, from the beginning, we always said we always went 100%, but because of the negotiations, we were okay with 80 But when they turned it around, I still remember that day. When they turned it around, I was just overwhelmed with calls from my community members. And my grandfather, who I'm really close with, was just about crying. Just about made me cry just to think of it. Like, it was, it was such a sad day. And we're like, oh, my goodness, like, we're going to have to do something. What are we going to do right away? I phoned the CPAS office, like, what's going on? Like, we have to do something. So it was like a really sad moment for our people who are people of the PL because it's just sad to see our government work in that way when they shouldn't be. It's like they're taking something away from us that makes us who we are as people. We're not thinking about ourselves, but we're thinking about our younger people and our future generations. So it's like, it's really, it's really sad. And when we talk about the territory being opened up to industry, what exactly do we mean? What kinds of things are going to be happening on the land because of this? There'll be roads going in there and there'll be mining in there, which I hope will never happen. All our people will be coming together if that happens because I don't think I would ever like to see a road going in there because this land is just like our grandmother. We have to take care of it. When I was growing up, my parents said, you know, we cannot let the road go in there because this seems happening in the past two areas. And where I live in, they said it wasn't really good and we wouldn't ever trust that happening again. And my grandfather said, if that ever happens, I'll die to see it ever happen in my life. So I, I don't know. It wouldn't be the same. One of the things probably Rose mentioned, Rose would be one of the biggest issues for the Peel Watershed. It's home to migratory animals, the porcupine caribou herd. It's a herd of caribou that migrates from Alaska east into the Yukon and into the Northwest Territories every year. They have the longest migratory route of any land mammal on Earth. Most years they go through and spend some of the winter in the Peel watershed. Those routes that they take are literally ancient migratory routes. And to put roads in the middle of those migratory routes could be incredibly damaging for that herd. Particularly, that would have ramifications for the Wintukwichin First Nation of Old Crow, who rely on the porcupine caribou herd to provide them with food, to provide them with fur, to provide them with hide. They rely on that migration coming through Old Crow every year. And if anything happened to divert them because of development in the Pill Watershed, it could be incredibly damaging. Then you look at these pristine rivers and just imagine what would happen if pollutants got into the water because of contamination from a mining site within the Pill watershed. It would just cause so many problems and particularly for Bobby Rose's people. I mean, I've heard those stories from people that the fish is their life. If you did anything to damage that, the impacts are just unthinkable. How did the First Nations and the conservation groups originally come together? Like the way our people used to gather in the Peel long ago, that's what we did. Right away, we're calling each other, contacting each other, make sure, and like, you know, we're all on the same level. 
all our First Nation leaders all got together and they came here and we had a big discussion with Tom Berger was that. So that's what we always did. So it was unfortunate. It was for this reason. A lot of the work is done between one of my predecessors, Mike Dane, who unfortunately passed away in 2012. He was an incredible man from everything I've heard. He worked with the First Nations and built some incredibly strong relationships. And he went down to meet with the lawyer, Tom Berger. He basically literally cold called Tom Berger, who is incredibly well-known First Nation rights lawyer, particularly from the Berger Inquiry or the Mackenzie Valley Pipeline Inquiry, which happened in the 70s. And so Mike essentially cold called Tom and said, Tom, you've got to come and help us on this case. Tom almost immediately said, I'm there, I'm going to work with you. And everyone came together. It's an incredibly powerful to see the level of collaboration that's happened. As conservation organizations here in the Yukon, we have to work in a way that respects Yukon's First Nations. We're existing in their territory. And we essentially can't tell First Nations what to do with their own land. It's, it's just not the way that an organization can operate here. And so the fact that Mike had the foresight to really work with First Nations and build those alliances, I think it's something that, I mean, I definitely haven't seen anywhere else in Canada the level of collaboration that has existed between conservation groups and First Nations. What's happened in the legal process to this point? So it's been through two levels of court so far. The first hearing was with the Yukon Supreme Court, and the judge in that case made a really incredible ruling, and he basically found that the way that Yukon government had acted, the legal wording was, did not uphold the honor of the crown, and that it was not in the spirit of reconciliation. What he did was he made a recommendation that the land use planning process that Yukon government derailed by throwing in their own plan at the last minute, he put it back to a point where we would essentially have to implement that 80% plan and then it would go back to some final consultations and it would essentially allow us to see the Pill watershed protected and it would essentially uphold the integrity of that seven-year planning process. So that was really an incredible victory for the conservation groups and for the First Nations to see that judgment made. Then it went to the Yukon Court of Appeals. What happened there was that the judges agreed with the initial ruling that Yukon government had not acted in the spirit of reconciliation and that they hadn't upheld the honor of the crown, but they actually put it back to an earlier stage in the process. And what they did was allowed Yukon government to essentially have a do-over so that they could go back and they could follow the process in a slightly better way, but they could essentially still do whatever they wanted. And so that leaves us in this state where we're at now, where we have two rulings that say, okay, Yukon government, you acted in a really bad way. And now we just have to go to the Supreme Court of Canada to determine, okay, so if Yukon government acted inappropriately, what happens next? Do they have the right to just have a do-over or are they going to be bound by the process of the consultations and the land use planning process outlined in the final agreements that First Nations signed in good faith with the Yukon government and the federal government? So we're really excited for March 22nd when we go to the Supreme Court of Canada 
we feel like we have an incredibly strong case and uh, we're very hopeful that the Supreme Court of Canada will undo the changes made by the Yukon Court of Appeal and put the process back on the rails. And what's been involved over the years in the public campaign component of Protect the Peel? I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, so I've only been here for a relatively short amount of time. And so I only see the amazing work that so many people put in before me. The public campaign to protect the Peel watershed actually started probably around 18 years ago. So this has been a long, long process to finally, hopefully in the near future, see this incredible place protected. It started with just having to get the Peel watershed as as an issue in the minds of particularly Yukoners. We've had to work for years and years to build it up in the consciousness so that people know the issue. And we recently had a Yukon territorial election last November. They did an election poll just before the election happened, and they asked the community what were the biggest issues of the Yukon election. And right behind economic development, the Pill watershed was the second most important issue of that election. We also host fairly regular events in support of the Pill watershed. We have a website, which is www.protectpeel.ca, along with a Twitter and a Facebook group, which are both Protect Peel. And we're going to be doing a whole bunch of events in the lead up and around the Ottawa hearings in March. Protect the peels. It's just giving other people uh, education on what is the peel, where is the peel, and who's people of the peels. So it's probably like one of the things. If you go into my community of Fortnite person, you're going to see protect the peels stickers like on everything, like on all the doors and on all our boats and <laughs> our four wheelers. Basically, I just talk about my life and where I came from and like who I am as a person, who I came from. And that's where I see a Protect the Peel campaign is just talking about my lifestyle and why it should be protected. It's pretty cool because I work at the Thailand Territorial Park with my grandfather and people always come by and always ask, let's protect the peel because they've seen stickers in Ottawa and in New Zealand and all these other places. So it's pretty amazing how it all started and where it is now and how popular it got, I guess. We get support from all over the world as well. I talk to people all the time and they're like, we have to protect that area and we have people coming into our community like every year wanting to go into that area, wanting to see the people, wanting to meet the people and hear their stories. And this past year, my friend and I, we started a society called Youth for the Peel. It's by youth for youth and it's for the Peel in all generations. And we bring youth out there for a month and from the Peel of First Nations. But this year we put out applications and it was for the First Nations, but we got overwhelming response from all over Canada. Not only that, two people are contacting us from Alaska wanting to come into this area. So it's been pretty amazing how people are being so supportive. So this year we brought six more new youth with us and we teach them about guiding and tourism and then we talk to them about conservation of the Peel watershed and then we talk about it's just like an open book on what they wanted to learn right now we're getting ready for our next trip and we're in partnership with the Deshinta online university based outside of Yelena we don't really 
ask the youth for much on this trip, which is the way teach them what they know. I let them know about the history of the PL and how that was taught stories about places and it's just basically I'd be myself out there so I'm talking about like stories from my grandparents and stories from the people, stories about our experiences. It's an amazing experience and really proud to be a part of the society and really proud that we started it. What kinds of activities and events are being organized for the lead up to the hearing in the Supreme Court of Canada on March 22nd? Here in Whitehorse, we have a farewell that's happening to send off the delegations to Ottawa, and that's going to be happening on the 19th. We'll then be doing some events here in Whitehorse on the day of the hearings, a breakfast. It will actually be starting at about 6.30 in the morning, Whitehorse time, so we'll be hoping that some people will be willing to come out pretty early to watch the hearings with some of the people from CEPOS and the Conservation Society. Then in Ottawa, on March 19th, on the Sunday, we're doing a film screening of a film called The Peel Project. It's a really neat film. It's a group of youth who are all artists. They came up the Peel River and the Hart River, and they did this in September, which is not really the time that most people would do it because it's already cold and windy at that time of year, but they did it anyway. They created art and One of the really cool things about this film is to see their journey. They really start the journey as some pretty privileged white settlers. And uh, as they go along, they really learn a lot. I'm still on that journey as well. I think I will be for the rest of my life. But it's cool to see that film. Then in Ottawa, we'll be doing the portrait project that will be on display at the Saw Gallery in Ottawa. We've done this project where we took a professional photographer, Kathy Archbold, to the communities of Fort McPherson, to Dawson City, to Old Crow, to Mayo, and here in Whitehorse, and took portraits of people who have a connection to the Pill watershed. And we got quotes from them. So what we're trying to do is tell the story of why this land is important, not just because it's beautiful, not just because of the animals, but because of the people who have relied on the land for millennia and still rely on it today. So I'm really excited and hope people will come out to see that from March 20th up until March 31st. We'll be having a reception there and the public, if anyone's in Ottawa, is welcome to join us on March 22nd after the Supreme Court hearing. And we'll be having a panel discussion at Carleton University. We'll be having Tom Berger, our incredible lawyer. We'll be having Dana Tisha-Tram, one of Bobby's partners on the Youth of Appeal project. We'll be having Christina McDonald from the Yukon Conservation Society and Chief Roberta Joseph from the Trondek Wichon First Nation, one of the Peel First Nations, all talking about this Peel case and the journey that we've been along. So there's going to be lots of different things happening. People will be able to keep track of all of that, either on the CPOS website, which is cpawsyukon.org, or at the Protect Peel website, which is www.protectpeel.ca. You have been listening to my interview with Bobby Rose Coe and Chris Ryder about the long campaign to protect the Yukon's Peel watershed. To learn more about this campaign and about the hearing coming up in the Supreme Court of Canada later in March, go to protectpeel.ca. That's protectpeel.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.